This is Bob Cudmore. The book you're listening to, You Can't Go Wrong, is really titled, You Can't Go Wrong, Stories from Nero, New York, and Other Tales. We're now up to the point where we're going to play for you some of the other tales, which tell how we lived life as we knew it back in the year 2000. Other Tales by Bob Cudmore. Casual attire unsettles this male's ego. Can dirty sneakers make it on Dress Down Friday? Dress Down Friday scares the pants off me. In offices that allow the casual look on Fridays, men confront clothing choices previously faced only by women. This trend could do more to raise men's consciousness than all the relationship books on the bestseller list. On Dress Down Friday in the summer, should I put on the frayed short sleeve shirt worn while cutting the lawn, along with the grass-stained sweatpants? How about the sneakers used to tar the driveway? Much to the chagrin of the women around me, no one has ever accused me of being dapper. According to a fashion expert, on Dress Down Friday, a man could wear tailored pants with sport coat and casual shirt, and a vest, or maybe a woven shirt. Maybe he'd wear a suit and a sporty fabric. Many men don't have a clue, New York City fashion forecaster Steve Gold admitted. Just call me clueless. Younger men are more inclined to enjoy dressing casually at work, according to Gold, who pointed out that paunchy older men look better in tailored suits. Just call me paunchy. My approach to dress is threefold. I'm either not dressed, sort of dressed, or dressed. My not-dressed look is more than casual or dressed down. There are the ink-stained chinos, superbly wrinkled blue shirt, and the 20-year-old ripped-and-bedraggled parka. Although I have the sense not to wear these clothes to work, my not-dressed look has been seen in public. You wore those to church? My wife has asked, repeating the old saw that women are blamed for the way the men look, even when men are on their own. For Dress Down Friday, I affect my sort-of-dressed look. A sport coat that may be a touch big or small, depending on the state of my diet. A shirt that may have the beginnings of a frayed neck. Chinos and scuffed shoes. Now, people usually see me when I'm at my desk with the shoe view conveniently blocked. Uh, my sort of dressed outfit usually could use some dry cleaning. If it's a big day at work, though, I go for the gold with my dressed look. A clean suit and tie, or a blazer with gray slacks and tie. I like to think left of center, but dress like George Bush. My ties, though, are colorful and sometimes outrageous. My closet boasts ties depicting Beatles songs, Norman Rockwell paintings, skyscrapers, cartoon characters, and favorite objects like hot dogs. Some are high fashion indeed, if you'll pardon the pun, designed by the late Jerry Garcia. Others sport splashy depictions of people and things drawn for good causes, such as Save the Children or UNICEF. My wife buys them for me. Going through a Saratoga receiving line years back, Mary Lou Whitney complimented me on one of my Beatles ties, Yellow Submarine, very colorful. When I tried to use tie talk as a springboard to more conversation, she properly but forcefully pushed me along. But still, she noticed. Ties have been good to me. Some men complain about wearing ties. I, I don't. Imagine my chagrin to learn that another development in the casual dress juggernaut is a move to eliminate the necktie. In a speech opening a fashion show, Prince Klaus of the Netherlands removed his necktie and tossed it at the feet of his wife, Queen Beatrix, calling the necktie a snake around his neck. The 73-year-old prince received a standing ovation. A Dutch TV anchorman took off his tie while reporting the story, and the station's sportscaster followed suit. The anti-tie movement is now called claustrophilia. What next? Could it be that the growing popularity of casual dress will affect the employability of the formally attired? A friend of mine went on an interview at a firm with business casual attire, Monday through Thursday, whatever that means, and dressed down Friday. My friend came dressed by the old rules. He felt awkward. He didn't get the job. I was a suit, he said. Check it out.
Are the lights off? Of course. You've seen those surveys which show that in your lifetime you spend 25 years asleep, seven years at table, six months waiting in line, and a month or two flossing your teeth. When the big guy does the final time study of my life, he'll find I spent years checking things. When I parked my car the other morning, went to the office, I knew I had already turned off the lights. I turned off the lights before arriving at the parking lot. I always do. But as soon as I started walking from my car, carrying a briefcase and lunch bag and some newspapers, an internal debate began. Are the lights off? Of course. But if the lights are on, we'll come back eight hours later to a dead battery. The lights are off. Look, it'll take just a minute or two. Go back to the car. Check the lights. We're late for work. Come on, if those lights are on, what a hassle. A jump start, a tow truck. Please, the lights are off. Are you sure? Positive. Sure we're positive. All right, let's check the lights. The lights were off, of course. Walking away from the car, I started wondering if the dome light was still on. The dome light stays on for a moment if you don't shut the driver's door just so. Psychologists say such behavior is only a problem when it really interferes with your life. You be the judge. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders of the American Psychiatric Association calls the condition obsessive-compulsive disorder and the obsessive-compulsive personality. TV talk shows have even added panels of obsessive compulsives to their regular stable of people with sexual and relationship problems. Jack Nicholson played an obsessive compulsive recently in the movies. My particular little routine with a car light seems to fit into the psychology manual description of compulsion, repetitive, purposeful, and intentional behavior performed in response to some imagined or possible threat. On the plus side, employers often value obsessive compulsives for their diligence. I wonder if I've sent this month's piece to the Gazette, of course. Are you sure? Sure, we're sure. If I were mindful when I turned off the car lights or used the fax machine, as opposed to performing the task mindlessly, I would have a better chance remembering. The New York Times reported on Harvard psychologist Ellen J. Langer, who studies mindlessness and mindfulness, the title of her latest book. Much of the time, Langer says, we are on automatic pilot, not thinking about what we're doing. We forget things, misplacing car keys, going to the basement for something, forgetting why we went. After studying mindlessness for many years, Langer concluded we can be taught to be more aware. She said that skills should be taught conditionally so that people learn to respond differently to changing situations. Langer cited an example of mindlessness that may have happened to you. The professor was using a new credit card in a department store. The clerk saw that Langer had not signed the card, gave it to her to sign. When Langer then signed the receipt for the transaction, the clerk compared the signature on the receipt to the signature on the card to see if they matched. Duh. Thinking of credit cards, though, did I mail a check to MasterCard this month? Of course. Am I sure? Whatever happened to the Russian lady? If you worked in radio, this has happened to you. She was called the Russian lady because of her noticeable Russian accent. A regular caller to Dick Taylor's 1970s-era sound-off talk show at WBEC Radio in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, the Russian lady was a joy. She didn't attack the host or the other callers, and she always had some good point to contribute to the program. The Russian lady died. Dick Taylor saw the obituary, which even mentioned how the woman was known on radio as the Russian lady. Dick did a tremendous tribute to her that day on his show, and all the calls for several days on Sound Off dealt with what a wonderful person the Russian lady had been. Time went on, people started talking about other topics, fluoride in the water, the Trilateral Commission, the dog leash law, the hot topics of the day. A couple of weeks after the death of the Russian lady, a man called Dick's show and said, Dick, there was a woman who used to call your program all the time. The Polish lady or the Ukrainian lady? You mean the Russian lady? Yeah, the Russian lady. Whatever happened to her? Dick replied, Sir, 
The Russian lady died a couple of weeks ago, and we, we miss her very much. After that call, once again, more calls came in praising the good qualities of the Russian lady. More time elapsed. Two months after the death of the Russian lady, a woman called Dick Show and said, Mr. Taylor, you used to have a regular caller named the Russian lady. What's the matter, Mr. Taylor? Did you offend her? Cut her off or something? What gives, Mr. Taylor? With admirable politeness, Dick replied, Ma'am, I never did anything to offend the Russian lady, but you see, she died two months ago. Oh, hadn't heard about that, the caller replied. Once again, the whole program that day and for several days thereafter reverberated with praise of the Russian lady. Six months after the Russian lady's death, out of nowhere, another call. Dick, I think it's a damn shame you don't let the Russian lady call your talk show anymore. I believe another caller mentioned this some time back. We all like the Russian lady, and frankly, I'd rather listen to her common sense than listen to you pontificate. Sir, Dick Taylor said through clenched teeth, the Russian lady is dead. She is dead, dead, dead. She died six months ago. No matter how many times he explained it, the calls, as they say, kept coming. A year later, Dick, whatever happened to the Russian lady? She met her maker. She kicked the bucket. She bought the farm. She's pushing up daisies. She's dead. What more do you people want me to say about this? Dick Taylor is now the general manager of a radio station in Waterloo, Iowa. If you're ever in Iowa and want to get a rise out of somebody, call his station, ask to speak to Mr. Taylor, and when they ask you who's calling, simply say... The Russian lady, and hang up. There's a saying in the military, no matter how hard you try, somebody doesn't get the word. And who the expletive deleted are you? Always leave them laughing. The late Henny Youngman gamely kept us laughing through this veil of tears, mainly for the joy it brought to him and to the rest of us. Youngman every day to the Mater D at the Friars Club in Manhattan. I'd like a table near a waiter. However, Youngman never let you forget that he made his living telling jokes. Youngman, fellow called up and said, What time's the next show? I said, What time can you make it? If Jerry Seinfeld has made nothing into comedy, Henny Youngman showed the importance of making everything a joke. Youngman, I went to the doctor and he said, I'm giving you six months to live. I said, I demand a second opinion. He said, You're ugly. Walt Fritz, raconteur, former radio personality who now works at WRGB-TV, tells a Henny Youngman tale that is not a one-liner. Schenectady native and broadcast manager Lou Verudo was deputized some years ago to arrange Henny Youngman's appearance at a retirement party for a salesman at a TV station where Verudo then worked in New Haven, Connecticut. Youngman, I won't say business was bad at the last place I played, but the band was playing T for one. Verudo, now the general manager of a TV station in Buffalo, didn't know how to reach Youngman, but he learned the comic had a listed phone in Manhattan, which he answered himself. When the phone rang in his West 55th Street apartment, Youngman would sometimes say, Answer it! It could be a job. When the William Morris Theatrical Agency opened an office near Youngman's apartment, the comedian put a sign in his window that said, Book thy neighbor. A deal was struck. Berudo was instructed to pick up Youngman in Midtown Manhattan in a limousine for the ride to New Haven. Berudo thought the comedian would be accompanied by an entourage. But at the appointed hour, there was Henny Youngman, alone, clutching his violin case, waiting for his ride to New Haven. Youngman, I just came from a pleasure trip. I took my mother-in-law to the airport. It was not an ordinary evening. Youngman, a guy says to another guy, Do you know the way to Central Park? No, I don't. That's okay. I'll mug you here. After a Youngman ordered stop at a deli for some corned beef sandwich refueling, Bruto emphasized to Henny Youngman how great a fan the guest of honor the retiring salesman was. Entering the hall, the comic approached the starstruck guest of honor and said, Who, the expletive deleted, are you? It was the start of a memorable testimonial. The world would be all but unbearable without the laughs. 
A cartoon in The New Yorker shows the angel of death confronting Henny Youngman. Youngman, take my wife, please. Going, going, gone. When you grow old, they take your stuff away. It's not twilight time for the baby boomers, but it certainly isn't morning in America anymore. Veteran musician Al Cooper played a poignant song at a Van Dyke show in Schenectady called Going, Going, Gone. The song mourned Cooper's inability to buy a new pair of the same kind of boots he's been wearing for 15 years. They don't make them anymore, Al, he was told. I like to wear sneakers with low soles, figuring I'm tall enough already. I don't need high shoes to increase my clunkiness. The last thing I want to do in life is fall down. However, noticing the growing popularity of big and high sneakers, will there come a day when the salesman will say, Bob, they don't make low-soled sneakers anymore. They're as out of date as a one-speed bike, a push-button transmission, or a personal computer without a mouse. Maybe you can find some of those old-fashioned sneakers at a garage sale with the other relics like 8-track tapes, vinyl records, and flash bulbs. One of the founders of Blood, Sweat, and Tears from 30 years ago, songwriter Cooper also reported that the movie theater of his youth is gone, replaced by a drugstore, and that you no longer can buy an answering machine with a standard audio cassette. When you grow old, they take your stuff away, Cooper concluded. Watching relatives age and by choice or necessity inhabit smaller and smaller spaces, I know that he's right. Some relatives did not go gentle into that good night, hating to part with old possessions as they moved from house to apartment to nursing home room. On the other hand, some relished the idea of traveling lighter near the end of life's road. Getting rid of personal things is not the same phenomenon as losing familiarity with the common objects and customs around you. It's a blessing to be able to go home again, to ground yourself in the past by seeing the houses, schools, movie theaters, and stores of your youth. But by and by, these tangible signs of personal history are swept away, along with everyday objects and ways of doing things that you have taken for granted. The houses I grew up in are still standing, but as happened to Al Cooper, there is absolutely no vestige remaining of the Rialto, the Mohawk, the Regent, and the Tryon, the movie theaters of my youth in downtown Amsterdam. As for common objects and practices that have been transformed, can you still buy a manual typewriter, or an electric typewriter for that matter? Is there a market for adding machines that are operated by pulling a lever? Is there any company or institution with more than five employees where you speak to a human being when you first call the information number? Why did spare tires get so small? When did they start installing locks on automobile gasoline caps? How did we used to know trucks were going to back up before they beeped? Do you remember before the days of personal beepers and cellular phones when you could hide from the boss, sometimes in the building, but certainly when you were in the car? Consider the folks in Brooklyn who used to be Area 212. They're now Area Code 718. Long Island's longtime 516 area code will soon apply to only part of Long Island. How long will 518 area code remain undivided? Will we get to keep 518? Or will only the people in the North Country, Plattsburgh, let's say, hang on to that old eastern upstate area code? Losing the little things in life is a sure sign that sooner or later we are all going, going gone. I hope you've enjoyed episode 10 of You Can't Go Wrong. Episode 11, the final episode from the book, will be coming soon.